Evening, Dan. Hello, hello. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, all fine. You know, I think um, I was thinking about it the other day. That's that's always been the start of our conversation, hasn't it? I think if that could be like a, your catchphrase. <laughs> that's quite a boring catchphrase, I've got to say. Well, I, I didn't give it that much thought, to be fair, but it's fair. <laughs> Looking forward to Champions League returning. I really am. Um, it should be great. There's some really, really fascinating games over the next couple of days, and obviously next week as well. And um, obviously, goes without saying, um, my, my slight bias, but you know the the, the Inter Liverpool game tomorrow. Obviously, the, I think the PSG game tonight is going to be fascinating as well, because you know you, you see it in terms of sort of brand or the, the types of clubs that are now doing very well and spending money and having top players at the top of the game. And this is one of the things we're going to talk about, isn't it? I guess Omar, which is you know what does their performance look like over the season, and actually, you know, based on your great and interesting data about what are the chances of each of them going through but as a spectacle there's some some great great lineups over the next uh, couple of weeks yeah definitely i've um we'll get we'll get into the odds later because i've got a couple of stats which um which i think kind of talk to how good um the draw has been actually <laughs> obviously it was a redraw so it's quite quite nice that we got a good draw in the end um but yeah i thought i thought we'd start um today with um with discussion on the loan regulations which um I think it's it's whenever you put regulations in a, in a Twitter space or a podcast title, I'm not sure you get that many many listeners. But I actually think this is quite interesting, and one of the things we can discuss is the consequences and unintended consequences of some of the proposed um, rule law changes that that FIFA put forward around around the loans uh, and, and how many players can be loaned. So you've you've been doing a bit of reading, Dan. What's the what's the kind of long and the short of it as it relates to changes in the way that players that clubs can loan players now? I'm going to try and keep it short. And yeah, I think you're right, Omar. I think next time we'll call it loan transfers and see what happens in terms of our marketability. Um, point, yeah. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll save that for another day. Maybe we need some SEO or Twitter SEO um, uh, yeah, help. But yeah, the basics or bases are now, as you know, but by way of context, what we've, what we've seen over the last you know, decade or two and specifically more in the last few uh, years is this approach to a lot of clubs who um, are... I guess acquiring, um, identifying, and isolating you know talent from across across the globe, um, employing them, uh, not necessarily for first team pathway, but for mental and loan uh, pathways. In order then, at some point, presumably, that a number of those players do still excel and succeed at a variety of different clubs, and those clubs, those parent clubs, can uh, take the the commercial and transfer um, benefits to a degree. And, you know, we, we can talk about in a bit of detail um, in terms of some of the overarching and underlying, you know, objectives of, of FIFA for, for putting in place these, these regulations now. And really, they are relatively stringent, you know, restrictions that are going to be um, enacted from, from the summer, so from July 2022, this summer. Um, and, and the headlines really more than anything else. Uh, the main element really is a phased in restriction on the number of international loans in and out during um, each season. And what I should stress is that this does relate at first instance to international loans. Um, it's not specifically mandated for domestic loans, although I think my understanding is right that 
um, that this is going to be a phased in approach for a domestic loan uh, system to effectively mirror um, the the FIFA um, the FIFA regulations over you know a particular period of time. But if I give a couple of examples, so from the first of July twenty twenty two for that season, the twenty two twenty three season, there'll be a maximum of eight players that can be loaned in and eight players that can be loaned out. It drops to seven for the season after. It drops to six for the season after that as well. Um, and there's probably a few more caveats in in that. That the main one, effectively, being is that that there is quite a large carve out, I guess, which is the 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 restrictions those that eight to seven to six restrictions for in and out for international loans um, don't include players aged twenty one and under, and don't include those players that are club trained. So they are effectively excluded from um, the maximum uh, the maximum number. I think just very briefly, one other point probably just to mention is. Um, there's a maximum of three players that can be loaned out to a single club and three loaned in from a single club during any one particular season. Um, and obviously, within that framework and within those restrictions, there will be domestic rules and domestic um, regulations as to loans. And so I was just trying to go through the, the pretty extensive Premier League handbook, for example, um, on what is permitted in the the EPL, for 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 instance, and there's there's a few more nuances to that. But if I just very briefly for thirty seconds take everyone through that, which is that the Premier League that a Premier League club can only register cannot register more than two players on loan at any one time. Um, that the maximum number of loans in the, in one entire season can only be four, and that actually a club a Premier League club cannot loan more than one player from another Premier League club at any one time. So they're they're more or less the three prohibitions that the, the Premier League have, which to a degree is more stringent, and the EFL have um, others to do with the amount of loan players that uh, an EFL club can have um, in their matchday squads, as well as other elements. So if we just go back to, um, I guess, the basics, which is FIFA implementing loan restrictions um, starting from July this year, eight in, eight out, and that reduces to seven and to six, but doesn't include um, under twenty ones and those players that are club. And so, and so, thinking about those restrictions, and, and obviously, we, we know some of the clubs, um, Man City and Chelsea in particular, obviously being flagged. What do you think are some of the implications of of this now? Like, how do you think clubs are going to be thinking about the way that they, you know, manage their squads, employ players, and similarly, clubs that that often loan in players? Do, what are some of the kind of consequences for them? Well, I think the first thing is, which has almost certainly already happened. I mean, the, the first thing to say to note is, I haven't actually seen. The, the detailed regulations here. So there's been a, a FIFA press release and then some some follow up, but I haven't as yet. It may have actually come recently, but I haven't seen it. The actual details, um, and obviously the devil is sometimes in the detail. But what my understanding is across industry with some of the bigger clubs is obviously they have been consulted in this process to a degree. But more than that, um, I presume I'd be very surprised they haven't. Will have had to undertake, you know, effectively um, a loan audit, really, which is okay. Well, we've got these amounts of players. These players are going to be out of contract within a particular period of time. These players will come under the exemption criteria. These players are club trained, which are fine, which then gives us, you know, um, uh, a potential risk. Uh, risk association of these amounts of players for example so i wonder one of the unintended or intended consequences in the in the short term is perhaps um either uh clubs are going to let uh loan player contracts run down or out if they're not going to be valuable and they're not going to be able to be loaned in a certain amount of time because ultimately i guess what clubs will want to ensure is that the most va- if they are restricted in the amount of loans that go in and out that um they 
can maximise the payment of uh, that that loanee clubs will effectively provide for the most talented loanee players that aren't necessarily going to get into the big club first team, elite club first team, but still are going to generate significant sums. So I think I wonder whether the first thing is that identification of these are the guys and girls over the network guys over the next particular period of time that are going to be the most lucrative by way of loans and then work down from there by some type of audit. But, you know, we talked about it beforehand to a degree and I'm really interested in your views on it as well because I've definitely spoken for too long already um, is, you know, just that point around, um, you know, bigger clubs obviously have larger resources to be able to employ players, people more generally. So the query is whether actually the amount of employment that the bigger clubs can actually um, offer to more players as a result reduces. And I just wonder whether, you know, this is something that FIFPRO or the national um, uh, players unions associations have um, have taken into account in different degrees simply because you know if there's less loan opportunities granted there might be issues around competitive balance and around integrity of competition etc but in terms of um, employment opportunities I wonder whether you know one of those points might be that there is less employment possibilities for players granted even if they're going out on loan than uh, if the restrictions were not in place yeah it'll be, it'll be fascinating because I suspect players obviously won't want to be sitting on benches and if they can't be loaned out then that's what they'll be doing it'll probably knock on to um lower levels of, of players if anything um so i want to there's a really good piece written by gab marcotti a few few years ago now around limiting squad sizes having a, a benefit on competitive balance because you have someone like a jesse lingard who um you know if united are only limited a certain number of players and he has to go and play for west ham it, there's almost no option now in effect this kind of has a way of doing that because you would assume that players aren't going to accept sitting on the bench. And if they can't go on loan, then they're going to want to wind down their contracts and go overseas. The one thing that strikes me, though, um, just thinking about this, is how almost targeted these regulations are. Because actually, if you, if you look at the loan market globally, the two countries where it stands out so much that they use loans is England and Italy. There's, there's basically, to, to my knowledge, there aren't other major countries i think perhaps in south america um although i, I don't know that for certain but certainly in europe um it's the, the loan system isn't a hugely utilized system and it's mostly because a lot of teams have b teams um particularly big clubs um and so when you think about loans it's the main purpose for loans for, for younger players um and i know there's exemptions here for 21 and younger but you know the likes of chelsea and man city still loan out players aged you know 22 23 um is is player development and, and clubs can do that through um, through their B teams, so I, I firstly I wonder whether that under twenty one and, and younger, I think that's probably been put in place to to a accommodate Italy and, and England and their unique environments where they don't have B teams, or certainly most teams don't have B teams, and so uh, you need a loan environment for young players, um, and so then it becomes about you know a relatively small group of clubs, I think that these. Um, that these regulations are targeted at because I, I think the likes of, of Man City and Chelsea, yeah, have, have a pool of players aged 22, 23 that are, um, that are getting loaned out. But, but I actually don't think there's a huge number of clubs like that. And um, can certainly look into the data and, and find out. So part, part of me wonders, um, you know, how much teeth the regulations have or how, how much of a difference they are. They obviously you know, focus on, on a couple of big name clubs. Um, and I think the club trained um, exemption makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think one of the, potential consequences again intended or otherwise is the clubs that do have a lot of players at the moment and are loaning clubs that, that players out are probably going to start 
if they aren't already in some cases, looking at uh, feeder teams overseas. So having clubs in, in the rest of Europe overseas where they essentially buy the player into that club in the first instance, keep them there for a couple of years because actually these new regulations um, introduce a maximum loan duration of, of, of one year, which I think is quite interesting. And so obviously um, owning a club means you, you're not restricted by that um, by that time frame. Um, and potentially you're talking about these clubs in um, buying up clubs overseas and, and bringing players into there and, and hoarding them in, in a slightly different way, which, you know, it, um, again, is kind of depends what your your perspective on it is, but it but it may not uh, address the issue that, that FIFA are trying to address. Um, if anything, it might, you know, further uh, challenge competitive balance because these, these clubs, if you take... Um, I don't know what a good example is. Um, Lommel in, in Belgium, one of Man City's clubs, they've, they've got a compelling case to players and say, look, you come to us, you develop, you play you play football in Belgium and then we'll be able to get you into into the Premier League quickly. That's quite compelling for a player from a much smaller market. So, yeah, I um, I, I think I, to summarise, they, they're the right direction, the, the regulations, but I'm not sure how much of a difference they're truly going to make and, and I worry a little bit about the unintended consequences. So, um yeah, it's 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 one to one to see how it unfolds, I suppose. It was an interesting one, Omar, because it's it's actually a really good point you make, which is is it actually de minimis? Is it something that actually won't really have significant impact because it only impacts maybe a small portion of clubs and actually the twenty one and under and club trained effectively means the sweet spot is relatively small. I, I sort of imagined that actually what we were talking about was a larger pool, which effectively meant that if those players couldn't sign with those elite clubs because the ability to loan in and out reduces that then those those players those high level players that are still being are still attractive to those elite clubs move to those middle tier clubs and then raise those standards as a result which actually drives higher performance levels because then there are better players more evenly distributed throughout the league yeah, I think I think that is the thinking. Um, it's it's often hard to know like to what extent the the, the kind of theory is realised in practice. Um, I, I'm actually I, I've a classic doing research during the show. I'm actually looking at at Chelsea's loan outs at the moment. And actually, it's it's an older age profile than than I thought. There's um, Miazga who's 26 when he was loaned. Uh, Abdul Rahman Barber, uh, 27. Jay Clark Salter, 23. Danny Trinkwater was alone at 31. Uh, Emerson 27, Kennedy 25, Batshuayi 27, uh, Giroud, Ezra Giroud went out permanently, uh, Bakayoko uh, 27. So it's maybe maybe more uh, of an issue than I thought, although again, kind of highlighting um, the case study club that everyone points to as opposed to um, the norm. So yeah, I, I, but I I think, again, if you, if you think about those, they are being loaned out at the moment. That's probably to a degree good for competitive balance. I know a lot of them have gone overseas, but if, if some of them are going to clubs um in the same division then then it potentially balances out the players obviously Chelsea own have all the power in that in that relationship I suppose but um yeah it's as I say I'm 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 kind of curious to see how it goes and, and obviously I think part of the FIFA regulations is that all the domestic leagues um I'm not sure they ma- have to adopt it or, or they're likely to adopt it but there's a certain kind of push towards adopting it and again I think it, it what you're describing at the top Dan I think the, the English regulation these seem pretty pretty stringent so i'm not sure again that these fifa regulations are necessarily going to really squeeze the english clubs apart from maybe one or two no that's, that's a really nice counter position actually which i hadn't really yeah considered in as in as much detail and um if 
if in turn I'd really love just to rack your brains on uh, on Champions League matters now because I've seen I, I was saying actually um, Aurel joined us for a little bit I'm sure he's um, done some great work with you on um, Champions League um, um, yeah predictions um, some ideas and data that you've got around who's looking good and uh, and then maybe we can come up with a few different uh, predictions where I'll tend to be horrendously wrong and then you can gloat in the weeks that follow yeah I'm conscious that yeah the podcast tends to go out on the thursday or friday which means at least one set of predictions will be shown up by the time uh, we mention them but at least we can uh, i can delve into the 21st group models and, and say what they're saying the first thing was as discussed at the top i think is a really good really interesting draw um you've obviously got eight ties in total and normally when i think of the round of 16 in recent years i've, I've seen it as not that interesting um normally because there's been you know a group winner that is kind of been looked pretty good and, and a runner-up less think because Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juve have kind of dropped off a little bit in recent years. I think there's a bit more balance in the in the knockout stages. And, and looking at our models, um, five of the eight ties have a favourite that is either 70% likely to go through or, or worse, as it were, so between uh, 50 and 70%. The, the three key well, uh, big favourites are Chelsea at 82%. Bayern at 91%, Man City at 90% um, to go through. Um, so Chelsea have Lille, Bayern of Salzburg and Man City have, have Sporting. So those are the kind of three mismatches, if you like. But all the others are, are pretty competitive, which means that you know every every night um, we've got kind of one game that, that should be pretty entertaining uh, and pretty tight. Um, the One of the things that um, has obviously changed this year is, is the away goals rule, which I've spoken about at length as, um, as a fan of it. Um, I think it's removed some of the intrigue around the first leg and, and the kind of big question of what a good result is, um, particularly for, well, for both teams, but particularly for the home team. Um, so we've done some modelling, which um, our 21st group um, channel posted out this uh, this morning around what a good result would be for the, for the four teams playing this week, um, Sporting, PSG, Salzburg and, and Inter. And I think in some circumstances with the away goals rule, um, Sporting, for example, who, who are actually doing pretty well at the moment, they... Um, I think in our World Super League model, if I just get it up, they are ranked 32 in the world. So they're kind of similar level to Wolves um, in world football. So a pretty good team, you know. And, and yes, they're playing Man City, who are an outstanding team, but could cause some trouble. Uh, if they'd have managed to, say, draw nil-nil at home um, in the first leg, actually, it kind of opens up a bit of a avenue in the second leg if they can, you know, score early, you know, potentially go through on the way goals rule. In our modelling, if they draw this first leg, it's, it's basically no change in their odds, um, a slight uptick, 4% percentage point uptick in, in their chance of going through, which from a low base is perhaps not tiny, but, um, you know, it, it's not, there's no kind of good draw for sporting. And it's the same for, for Salzburg as well. Um, you know, a, a draw is admirable result, but it's not really going to shift their odds. These teams need to need to go out and win um, at home this week, which which may provide some, some entertainment. But actually, I think, um, you know, sometimes a team playing defensively isn't always the worst thing. Um, for the overall um, context of, of the tie. Um, so similarly, PSG, if, if they draw obviously against Real Madrid, they, they need to go to Madrid and, and win, which isn't a great result. So we think that would knock them down from 54% to go through to, to 44% to go through. Uh, and similarly, Inter need to be winning against Liverpool at home. Um, they, yeah, it, it currently 36% to go through. If they were to, uh, to draw, they'd go down to about 33%. So we still have a chance maybe of drawing at Anfield and, and getting a a result in extra time or penalties, but but ultimately if they if they win, they're they're boosting their odds and they're getting up towards favourites actually if they if they win um, in the first leg, um, and just yeah just finally on on some of the ties um, taking place next week the Man U 
Atletico tie we, we rate as basically 50-50. United actually 51% favourites, Atletico 49%, but, but absolutely nothing in it. Juventus and Villarreal almost precisely 50-50. Um, and that, that's the kind of ties you want in, in European football. I, I um, you know, I love this time of year when, when European football comes back. I think that this is the, you know, the the value of the Champions League. We obviously had the Super League suggested, but I, I just think the the attraction of these ties is kind of it's head to head. It's two games. It's super intense, um, and, and you know, the, the winner goes through, the loser goes home. And I, I, for me, that's that's where the value is in European football in, in cross border competitions. It's not playing each other every single week. Omar, question I had, I know we've touched on it before, but I'd just be interested in your views. It's not necessarily a data analytics point, but with the away goals rule now scratch, scrapped, what, what do you think this does to the psychology of games? I mean, especially, I guess, second leg, where you know, do you think it makes teams more defensive or offensive? Obviously, the, the prize of an away goal, especially second leg, isn't there anymore. Do you think that incentivizes? team the away team to sit back more because the prize is not as great yeah I, I guess the theory is yeah the away goals rule um in the first leg it encouraged defensive football because the home team didn't want to give away the away goal uh, and actually the away team was often pretty happy drawing nil nil and, and taking them back home but but actually the stats never bed that out there was no evidence that first legs were were drab and boring. They were, they were kind of drawn nil-nil at, at a very similar rate to, to other comparable matches. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, now we'll see whether teams are kind of unleashed and, and set to, um, home teams are set to attack. I, I just don't, I, I, I'm never convinced that um, teams respond to incentives as much as we might think in sport. Um, so if you look at things like three points for a win, my if I remember correctly, looking at the data, like, I don't think there is a massive shift in the amount of goals that scored and the amount of teams that kind of were going for a win. I, I, I think it can be overthought. And so then ultimately it comes down for me as to whether the away goal rule was providing more entertaining football, um, you know, or more for, or more fair football, depending on what your priority was. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think we'll, I, I don't actually think we'll see any practical change um, in the way that the ties are played. Uh, I think there is an issue in extra time in the second leg particularly when you reach quarterfinal, semi-final stages where it's unseeded um, and you've got a team that's playing at home uh, in extra time against a team that's playing away uh, and there's no, there's an imbalance there in terms of, um, you know, the, the who has the advantage when it was drawn randomly. Uh, I don't think you should have that and, uh, and the evidence suggests that the away goals rule balance that out really well. Um, so, yeah, I, as I, I, don't, I actually don't think there'll be a massive change and, and for me, therefore, it's, it's a bit of a loss on, um, on European football because I thought it would provide some really entertaining knife-edge football. So does that mean, in a way, is it? Are we more likely to see more penalty shootouts? Is that something that, as a result, if if draws are more of a possibility, um, am I am I looking at things too much from a straight line perspective, or do, does the fact that the possibility of the draw increases mean that teams are more willing to go out and try and score that goal because the consequences of conceding aren't as high? Yeah, I think I think it does mean more penalties. I think it does mean more extra time. And again, I'm just not a fan of um, deciding games in um, in pen- well, normally penalties. Normally, extra time does mean penalties. Is actually I think more than fifty percent of the time when you reach extra time, you you go to penalties. So yeah, I, I and you know players are playing so many games um, at such high intensity, they don't tend to make very compelling football. So yeah, I think um, yeah there, there might be some more kind of dramatic penalty shootouts, but I'm I'm not sure um, it will. Um, it will kind of radically um, 
it'll be rather entertaining. I, I I'd be quite keen. I'm not actually looked at this yet, but I'm quite keen to look at what happened in the um, in the qualifying rounds because obviously there was a lot a lot of games there that were played without the away goals rule, and I'm not sure actually how how that played out. But obviously this is now the elite where everyone's watching, so we'll, we'll have to see um, how it plays out. Have, have you got have you got a prediction from the from the model of uh, Danji? Well, the model Danji usually comes straight from um, yeah, shooting from the hip in truth. Um, so you know, I the thing is that I always love about when it when it comes to the round of sixteen is actually just to try and watch all the games and see how everyone matches up against each other, and that's why I love your. Um, sort of a uh, world table effectively where you can effectively benchmark teams from around the world with teams that you have a an, a barometer a sort of benchmark from yourself so when you compared uh, sporting to wolves i think earlier on i mean I, I love that type of analysis and that's i think what a lot of people especially you know when i'm more likely to watch premier league and um, efl and don't necessarily watch as me um, other elite even elite uh, league uh, leagues and fixtures you know i find it fascinating just to see how elite players or deemed elite players then come up against particular systems or otherwise like for example it just feels like whenever i watch city play especially against um um premier league clubs it's just they have so much possession i just and i'm fascinated to see how you know sometimes in the later rounds about how elite teams try and counter that for example in the same way that liverpool and others have you know such a high thing but also just intensity style which sometimes hasn't suited in the past the italian teams for example who are a little bit um you know not on the same trajectory so that's the thing that i love watching um watching the most so without trying to uh, not give you any answer whatsoever about predictions that's where i'm going to go with them i, I it's, a, it's a fair enough move i think the wise move to make i um i will go with the tfg model which has man city at 26 percent favorites i think um it's bound to beat them eventually um but by buying a clearly a very strong team i think it'll probably be one of those two but that's that's a rather safe bet mate always fantastic to chat Great. all right cheers dan speak soon thanks everybody thanks for listening you can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business a bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.